Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 379th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this our ninth year, and we're broadcasting right across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, the entertainment, excitement, and technology capital of the world. Well, it, well, it's been another phenomenal week. Last Sunday, here at the house, we had our legendary Australia Day bash in the Hollywood Hills. We had 120 of LA's movers and shakers turned up, we had fabulous Entertainment, Rusty Egan, uh, who was drummer with the new wave band Rich Kids with Sex Pistols, Glenn Matlock. He had three hits, and two number one albums. He um, played DJ for four hours. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, Jackie Loeb, who was in the finalists of the world's best comedians on NBC, did the floor show and absolutely killed them. And next Sunday, same week, both my NFL teams, the LA Raiders, LA Rams. I was involved with the Raiders many years ago. That's why it came to mind first. But the LA Rams and the New England Patriots, who I also love, playing the Super Bowl. Unbelievable. So don't call me between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. next Sunday because I will not answer the phone. Now, last week was a pretty ugly week for the media industry after unexpected layoffs across both print and digital digital publications, there are hundreds of journalists looking for new jobs. The downside shows that both print and digital media companies, they're really struggling to find a way to monetize an ever-saturated attention economy. BuzzFeed is laying off 250 journalists, which is 15% of its staff, and that's after laying off 100 people just a year and a half ago. And this is its biggest downsize ever. And this is despite raising, I think, something like $500 million over the last decade, it is still losing money hand over fist. The Huffington Post laid off 20 writers and it's eliminating a couple of sections from its, from its um, folio, laying that they're closing the opinion and healthcare sections. Verizon Media cuts 7% of its total workforce of 750 employees, and yet they still haven't cut enough costs to make the media margins pay off. And again, they um, cut 39 journalists as part of a massive 2,100-person downsize just 18 months ago. And in preparation for a potential buyout, Gannett, which is a media conglomerate that owns 101 newspapers in America, cut a lot of senior journalists, some of whom have won Pulitzer Prizes. Jesus. It's like winning the gold medal in the 100 and getting dropped off your track team. So things might look bad in digital journalism, but the grim news from Gannett is a reminder that things are even worse in print journalism and Gannett's already downsized dozens of news teams, and now if Gannett itself is acquired, which seems likely, 
then probably the first thing that the new buyer will do, as you guessed it, lay off more people. Now, while times are bad for print journalists, if you're a software designer with a winning attitude, you could earn a million a year. Hear that? If you're a software designer with a winning attitude, you could earn $1 million a year. But you've got to work for the bad guys. The Dark Overlord is a cybercrime collective best known for a two-year cybercrime spree. You might remember they blackmailed insurance companies and the big TV studios. Um, they took credit for leaking unaired episodes of Orange is the New Black. Then they harassed U.S. schools and sent death threats to students, and they um, they did all sorts of nasty things. Now they're hiring. <laughs> The hacking group is seeking new members and new methods of gaining publicity. They're running ads that say, do you want to get rich? Come work for us. The Dark Overlord wrote in a November 14, 2018 thread on Kick-Ass Forum, a cybercriminal marketplace on the dark web. The Dark Overlord is looking to hire software designers and systems engineers with at least 10 years of experience to bring innovative approaches to operations and think outside the box. And candidates must have a winning attitude. Job requirements include experience with Windows, Linux, as well as expertise in Unix-based design and network management and penetration testing. God. All for a million bucks a year. And the ad goes on, you'll be working in a strong team-based environment, communicating and collaborating with like-minded and ambitious individuals, says the job posting. You'll be checking into project trackers, accepting suitable workflow positions and carefully documenting your work from a review. You'll be engaged in operations against various companies and governments and worldwide deployment deployments. If you're goal-oriented, and used to objectives and achieving them, then you're perfect for us. The ad finishes with, life is too short not to be rich. Now, that sounds like an ad that could be run by a Google or an Apple or anybody that plays things above board. But it's not. It's an ad on the dark web for technicians to go and hack big companies so they can be blackmailed. Jesus. And as the Dark Overlord and other large cybercrime associations like the Shadow Brokers become more common and more successful, their recruiting practices will continue to resemble those of the tech companies they recruit from. So these ads are aimed to recruit from the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and all of those companies. So don't work for 200 grand for them. Work for a million bucks for the bad guys. Just goes to show where the money is, doesn't it? The Dark Overlord also claimed it had stolen emails, retainer agreements, non-disclosure agreements, litigation strategies, liability analysis and other information that will embarrass high-profile insurers Lloyds of London and Hiscox Syndicates, as well as Silverstein Properties, which is a New York real estate firm. So pay up. Or else, 
they announced they'd publish the stolen material in five data dumps that would go live only after escalating payment goals, up to $2 million in Bitcoin. Of course, Bitcoin can't be traced. So they're up to two million bucks in Bitcoin not to publish this stuff. The group's drip drip approach, combined with its work to create media headlines, is influenced by the Shadow Brokers, a group of Russian hackers who published US NSA hacking tools in 2016, following a similar auction on the social media site Steemit. To me, it is seriously bloody scary that underworld hackers can freely advertise one million a year for hackers and poach them from the likes of Google and Apple and Facebook and get away with it. Why can't the FBI or the CIA or whoever hell job it is to catch these dudes? They're just running straight out ads. And if Fred, the the systems programmer can apply and find out where they are and who they are. Why can't the CIA and the FBI? Seems to me to be bloody ridiculous. However, what do I know? Do you get my local, <laughs> my local, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? Do you? You should. We now have about 1.75 million daily subscribers. And it takes just 30 seconds to read. Well, that's a bit of a lie. It really takes about a minute, everybody tells me. And every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine. We talk about new apps. We talk about new technologies. We talk about what's happening in the media world. We talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, all of that stuff. And today's letter, newsletter, for example, contains my Bitcoin projections for 2019. I reckon it should be a great year for Bitcoin and all the top 10 cryptocurrencies and 2020 and 2021 is likely to be way better again. There's going to be a bit of a slump in cryptos over the next month or so, but then she will take off. And to keep abreast of all new developments in business and technology, and make sure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you've got to know what the hell you're talking about. So you've got to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. Every week, lots of people do. Why don't you join them? Now, talking about subscriptions and things, do you reckon people are getting subscription fatigue and just simply wanting to be entertained? You know, how much money can you pay out every week or every month with sort of $10 for Netflix or $12 for Netflix and so much for all the others? I reckon people are tired of, tired of it. So even with the buzz around Netflix and Amazon Originals, people, are, I reckon, are hitting their limit for paid TV. You just want something, some, something where they're – viewing decisions easily, easy. You know, most people have 30 minutes or 40 minutes or maybe an hour to kill and they just want to be entertained. You know, it's not questionable that TV viewing shifted at an accelerating pace from traditional environments like cable and satellite and over-the-air broadcasting going to OTT and connected TV. You know, Nielsen reported a dramatic 12% decline in prime time viewing between the fourth quarters in 2017 and 2018, 
the connected TV viewing has grown from 7% to 18% of all time what spent watching TV. It's not that people are leaving TV, they're just seeking it elsewhere. Traditional TV's lost 3.5 billion hours of viewing per month over the last five years. 3.5 billion hours of viewing per month. And connected TV viewing has increased by 2.9 billion hours per month. So it's interesting because Pluto TV, which, as you know, is a leading ad-supported streaming service, and for all the hoopla around Netflix and Hulu, there's a big untapped market for free ad-supported video, and that's why Viacom bought them. Despite Pluto taking in less than $100 million in revenue last year, as it's only just begun selling its ad inventory, Viacom sees it becoming a billion-dollar business and paid $340 million to acquire them. So five-year-old Pluto TV claims 12 million monthly active users, up from 5 million in 2016, and two-thirds of them are on connected TVs. It licenses programming for 130 film and TV partners, including Viacom. So... Pluto TV is a way to make money off its archives by selling advanced TV advertising to its audience, more than 50% of which is between 18 and 34. Now, if the massive Viacom sales force, 600 of them, can lift revenue to the billion-dollar mark, everything could change and Pluto could be quite a force. Now, my guest after the short break is Nadia Zhang, the co-founder and chairman of Social Alpha Foundation, which is a not-for-profit grant-making platform supporting blockchain education and outreach, and its aim is to empower communities for social good. She is also a cryptocurrency investor and a blockchain enthusiast. This is Bob Pritchard. And I'm broadcasting across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where it's lovely sunny days around about 70 degrees. So everybody listening on the East Coast, where this sounds ridiculous, where it is more than 100 degrees colder. So it's 100 degrees colder than it is in LA. That is ridiculous. I'll be back in just a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs and other specialists in startup businesses and early stage businesses who play a role in solving the issues faced by entrepreneurs on their way to success. Only about 3% of startups get off the ground. So 97% fail. So we speak with people who have succeeded before, people who are really interesting, and people that have got something to share with other entrepreneurs. Because the more we can learn from people that have gone before us that have been successful, the less chance we've got of making those same mistakes ourselves. So in these discussions with entrepreneurs, we try to find out what makes these successful companies work. But more importantly, what makes these people tick? What is it that drives them? What are their secrets? So that we can learn from the things that make them successful and also from the challenges they've had to face. You know, I've spoken to literally hundreds, probably thousands of startups and early stage companies and every one of them, whether they've gone on to be a unicorn or whether they've stayed a fairly small company, they all seem to face exactly the same challenges. Now, Nadia Zhang is the co-founder and chairman of Social Alpha Foundation. And this is a not-for-profit grant-making platform supporting blockchain education and outreach to empower communities for social good. And as you know, if you listen to this show regularly, we are all about social good. You know, it's, it's all right to be a very successful entrepreneur, but unless you give something back, we don't consider that you've achieved your success yet. Um, Nadia is also a board member of the fundraising committee at the Hong Kong Society for the Protection of Children, a member of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong, and sits on the Global Patrons Board of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Sounds like a pretty cool chick, doesn't she? She's a graduate of the University of Washington. She's also a cryptocurrency investor and blockchain enthusiast. Um, I hope she's doing better than I am at the moment. Um, I'm a cryptocurrency investor and I'm a blockchain enthusiast. And, uh, hmm... The Social Alpha Foundation provides no-strings funding to companies and projects that educate communities on blockchain for social change. They also give grants to non-commercial blockchain applications that focus on improving public health, education and the environment. Now, successful applicants receive financial grants ranging from $10,000 to $100,000 with no interest charge and no repayment obligations. Funding for grants will be raised in cryptocurrency from individuals and commercial projects that have executed successful token sales, created a channel for donors to adopt corporate social responsibility practices. All very good. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. You are being heard all around the world. Hey, Bob. Uh, thank you for having me here. So you're up in San, you're up in Silicon Valley, or San Francisco. Yes, uh, I am in uh, San Francisco at this moment. Uh, but you know, I spend majority of my time in Hong Kong actually. 
Okay. So how was Social Alpha Foundation, how did it come about? Did you just wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning one day and go, aha, I've got this great idea? <laughs> that's, a, that, that, that's a really good question. Uh, so Social Alpha Foundation uh, is a foundation that I co-funded uh, with uh, Jihan Chu. So uh, for us both, we are, so Jihan himself, you know, he was in uh, blockchain since 2013. Sure. Uh, also, the co- right now, the managing partner at Kinetic, uh, which is a institutional blockchain, uh, blockchain platform. Yep. And then he also is the co-founder of the Ethereum Hong Kong Meetup, uh, co-founder of the Bitcoin Association uh, in Hong Kong since 2013. Uh, for me, myself, I started, you know, get involved in blockchain areas since 2016 and then just started to invest in, also dive, uh, diving in you know into the whole like community and also the cultural so uh for us is that we uh because we are in the space uh, just uh, a little bit earlier so what we see is that blockchain had really made a you know quite a big statement uh, for the past two years from this kind of like an underground fintech you know cultural right now a social yep. phenomenon everybody's yep. talking about blockchain but we also see that there is a, a problem which is that there is a huge missing link uh, between general public's understanding uh, versus the real underlying technology. And, but we truly believe that blockchain as a technology can offer so much more, not just from a, from a uh, financial spectrum, but also from other so many different levels, sure. uh, especially on social welfare, on uh, city planning, uh, also public health environment, education, etc. So we really want to like, uh, reintroduce and reshape the image of blockchain so people can understand that this is not just some technology or some um, ICO, you know, or make your, you know, make your rich quickly way, but it's actually a very useful and a very impactful technology. So, you know, carrying that, uh, we want to uh, establish a platform that really provides, let's say, resource network funding for the current generation and also more importantly the next generation of blockchain developers to think about how really to use their skill set to create positive social impact uh if you know let's say right now a developer wants to really start to tackle a issue in public health that we really want to be the one be the platform that support them you know to achieve what they want to achieve right and the other part you know from us is that we think it's very also, uh, you know, important for us to encourage uh, the, this generation of, you know, crypto communities to think about give back at early stage. Uh, we think, you know, uh, because we're so early and technology is so young, uh, we, you know, as, you know, everybody in the blockchain community to think about how exactly should we make the world a better place. And then and then if we kind of like insert uh, this kind of like value system of give, of give back earlier, that I think the impact that we're going to make, uh, it will be, you know, very long lasting. And of course, it's evolving over time. Uh, but we think, you know, if we start now and start early, that we're up to something really, really great. Yeah, the changes that are happening are extraordinary. Over the last six or so weeks, I've interviewed people mm-hmm. that are using blockchain in in medicine, that people that are using blockchain in distribution of um, entitlements, government entitlements in Africa, um, a whole range of things that are that blockchains now being used for, and uh, the advances are quite extraordinary. I mean, they're just happening so quickly. Um, Absolutely. Do, 
why do you think it's necessary for the average person out there to know anything about blockchain? I mean, they, they don't know how the internet works, so why should they know how blockchain works? Um, I think uh, you actually, you know, about the question about how much you know, right? I feel like right now it's really that people's uh, understanding towards blockchain that's, you know, that people really outside the industry is actually, uh, I mean, it, it can really be confusing sometimes. Yeah. On one side, uh, you heard that somebody just become a gazillionaire, you know, overnight. Uh, but the other point is that if you look at the, the market, you're like, oh, you know, I feel like that the market is really tanking. But the other part, but I think what, people should really know about blockchain so not to see this as a kind of like a financial tool or or simply a coin but it's actually as the technology which uh, which is that people should always keep an open mind uh, when it comes to any kind of technology sure. people you know was skeptical about internet at the first place and right now it's the AI and now it's blockchain but I think you know because people's understanding with blockchain is not that comprehensive which means there are actually a lot of like a misassumption towards this, this technology so I think, you know, the important part is that it's not for everybody to, you know, really know, you know, a lot about sharding or proof of, uh, proof of stake. But it's actually about that, oh, blockchain uh, outside of like, you know, uh, some somebody raising a lot of like money for a project is actually a technology or maybe we can use for the public health system or maybe can use on my daily payment or maybe one day I will download a application that based on blockchain technology that I might find convenient. So I think it's really a open-minded and a kind of like a welcoming attitude, you know, that we are, you know, hoping for to receive from the majority of the audience. Yeah, don't you don't you think the big or well, one of the big problems is that people confuse? I mean, blockchain is one thing, cryptocurrency is mm-hmm. something totally different. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's where people get confused. I think people look at um, at crypto, and mm-hmm. I know, I know, literally. A hundred guys that have become multi-millionaires out of crypto, but I also know yeah. a hell of a lot that bought in and <laughs> at the moment are yeah. sitting at the bottom of the cycle, not feeling good. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's really no reflection on blockchain whatsoever. I mean, we're in, we've got a um, um, an art business, and we're using blockchain to register the art to track the provenance, so that. You know, it can't. Nobody can fiddle with it. You can't steal the art because everybody knows where it belongs. They know what it's worth. They know the all the yes. materials it was printed on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a, it's a um a totally secure registration of art, for example. Absolutely. You, and you can do the same thing with jewelry or with car with with anything mm-hmm. with anything. Yes. Um So I think the the problem is people get confused. So. Yep. Since you're looking at doing social good, why why do you support blockchain projects specifically? Why not anybody that's out there doing good? Uh, well, I mean, first because you know uh, we are you know in this community, so we definitely want to see more potential use case uh, and also as well as adoption uh, that you know using blockchain technology. But the other part is that I really see that a lot of like huge potential that can come out of blockchain. So I give you an example. So uh, one of the grantees, you know, that we funded before is this kind of like a sovereign ID project uh, called Ampli, based in South Africa. So as you may understand that lots of developing countries, they have literally millions of idealist people, population. Sure. So that means that when you are born, you don't have any kind of identification. Like forget about like driver's license, you don't even yeah. have a passport. 
Yeah. And an extreme example it can be if there is war going on in your country, and then actually there's you know a lot of war going you know around the world you know every every yeah. second. That those unfortunate people, if they even go to the border and apply to be a refugee to another country, they couldn't even do it because even though they are standing in front of you in flash, they still couldn't prove who they are. Yeah. So the project that we you know supported is that they work uh, with a local charity that built early education center for children. So every child uh, that is registered uh, and enrolled into that charity-run school, they will be given a digital identity as right. part of their education profile. So for those children that can not only have you know a support you know from the education system, but meanwhile they also gain a piece of information that is permanent uh, that is transparency uh, that's transparent and you know and that can you know potentially support them to prove you know their own identity in some ways so that's one uh, and that an, another you know kind of like things I want to mention is that I recently paid a visit uh, to India so uh, we went to Hyderabad which is uh, yep. I think the fourth largest city in India yes. and then so we visit uh, this agricultural center uh, called Ikrasant so what Ikrison does is that Ikrison is a uh, 20 years old uh, research uh, center that's heavily funded uh, by a lot of like, major institutions like the Gates Foundation, etc. Yep. So what they do is that they want to encourage uh, the crops diversity in India. So some of you might know that for India, because it's such a huge uh, country, and um, because their uh, kind of like a local diet is actually quite uh, carbohydrate high, mm-hmm. and then uh, the study showed that actually India has a really really high uh, rate of diabetes. And one of the main reasons is actually that uh, the uh, it's actually because the choice uh, for people uh, to you know have to have is actually just wheat. And uh, as you might know, you know if you eat too much kind of like literally right right. Yeah. Uh, it's all going to be transferred into sugar and sure. also for there. And then, you know, if you look into the Indian diet, you can actually, it's really kind of like, you know, carbohydrate heavy and then it's actually quite sugar heavy. But actually the problem behind that is actually the government has a, a rice reserve, which means that for local farmers, if you want to grow a crop that will be guaranteed got bought, it can only be white rice. Right. And that you can see that because for the people, as say I, if I am a local farmer, I don't really have any choice to grow something else because I have a family to feed because I need to survive. Sure. So right rice is the only thing I'm going to grow. And that you can see that potentially lead to a generation of diabetes. Yeah. So what we talk about with, uh, so, so Ikrisam is the center that really want to encourage the diversity of crops, let's say, for some of the regions that's not even suitable, uh, the soil is not even suitable to grow, uh, you know, right rice, it's actually better for rice sorghum or uh, quinoa that's, you know, really beneficiated for people's health. So we were, what we're thinking is that if we can use blockchain, that we can, uh, that we can you know, uh, potentially establish this kind of like the incertification system that benefits the farmers. Let's say if you can, uh, if a farmer uh, basically uh, grow five more, five percent more of a rice sorghum rather than white rice, they can potentially get some kind of like a financial institution. They, it can be fertilizer, it can be just maybe a very a little of financial return, but it's something. So if we can use blockchain to create this kind of like, a, you know, it can be a micropayment system, it can be a financial inclusion tool, that can really just benefit the next generation of, you know, a people that won't, wouldn't even be heard 
by so many different levels. So yeah, so that's basically you know why I see uh, why we want to kind of encourage blockchain, why we want to invest so much in blockchain technology, because the future a blockchain can create is really, really exciting. Yeah, and of course, once people are on the blockchain, um, then it enables them to um, to establish your credit history to even even with micro loans um you know Absolutely. the repayment on micro loans is incredibly high it's almost a hundred percent you know it's interesting yep. that the people that are really poor pay their loans and the people that are really rich don't <laughs> there's something yeah. wrong with that and um, some of the some of the you know people in the more disadvantaged situation they don't even get to pay loans yeah. they're not even included in the financial system yeah well that this enables them to be included and, and develop a um a, a credit situation and also as you as you've said before people know who they are where they are and um yes th- that's got to be a huge benefit to not only the individuals but to the country as a whole who are who, what other mm-hmm. sorts of businesses um have you made grants to right so uh for social offer foundation uh we offer two kinds of grants uh so one is a education grant uh, which means we offer uh to people that tackle fundamental blockchain kind of like a developer a development uh which means that you know kind of like a research and study uh, with a focus of uh social impact and we also offer another grant uh, is uh, application grant uh, which means right. we want to help non-commercial blockchain applications that tackle social welfare issues uh, with a focus of public health education or environment so for the you know since uh, last year we also give a grant uh, to start a uh, blockchain for social impact hackathon uh, that was in May in New York so we work with a conference that is a pure computer science major student conference. Right. So they gather about 300 computer science major students from top 20 universities to really think about how to use their skill set to create positive social impact. So we uh, we give a 30,000 US dollar grant uh, to the Hackathon Prize. And then, you know, for the two, so the students spend about two nights of hacking. And then actually the result comes out really nicely. So we have three winners, and uh, some of their projects are decentralized voting, decentralized crowdsourcing, uh, decentralized and also refugee IDs. So I guess, you know, from that event, what we see is that if we give a platform and if we give a kind of like, you know, if we open another door uh, for students, uh, that is the younger generation of developers, to see that, hey, you know, if you think about how blockchain can benefit the social welfare system actually a lot. You will be surprised uh, by, you know, the great ideas that people come out with. And uh, we also recently, uh, you know, just kind of like, you know, uh, supporting a, a conference uh, that's uh, held by UN OPS, uh, which is a operational arm uh, inside of the UN and right. also the Netherlands government. So uh, we are helping, uh, we will be participating and also helping them to organize this kind of like a blockchain factor when it comes to government uh, adoption and also major institutions adoption and then, you know, potential use case. So we think, you know, that's from another angle is also interesting because, you know, for organizations at UN or maybe, you know, or even the Dutch government, they're actually really pioneer and advancing, you know, when it comes to blockchain adoption. And I think it would be really interesting for, you know, for we to gather everybody, you know, to see in the one room and really talk about, so where is the, you know, the future of blockchain and then, you know, what people, you know, what will people from different kind of like, you know, social layers and also different kind of like jurisdiction layers can benefit from it. Okay, so if I'm out 
if I'm out there listening to this program and I'm I'm working on using blockchain for some social good or for some um, um, program that's going to benefit health or um, giving people their entitlements, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, how do they go mm-hmm. about? What are the criteria to apply to you, and how do they go about doing it? Right. Uh, so yeah. So people, because I mean, you know, if you want to apply our grants, uh, you can you know, simply go to our website. Everything is really uh, clear on the website for the requirements and everything. So our grant size uh, is ten uh, k to a hundred k, but but the grant size is actually also determined uh, on a case by case basis. So I would say that really depends on, you know, like different kind of like application of uh, the applicants. So for our grant selection criteria uh, in the ballparks uh, is that we want to, uh, we want the uh, uh, application to show a well-researched and then also original ideas. And then we want the project plan to be realistic and achievable, which means that current blockchain technology can support what you want to achieve. And then we want the project to have a really kind of like a measurable real world impact, which yep. means that, you know, based on their target, it can really show that at least a, uh, a significant uh, kind of amount of people will potentially be benefit, uh, will be benefiting from this kind of like application and adoption. And, uh, you know, we, we want to see a experienced team uh, with, you know, kind of like a relevant past achievement. And then, you know, and so they can show that they actually have the ability to do it. And uh, uh, the project cannot be a commercial enterprise uh, because we are a non-for-profit and we fund non-commercial kind of like uh, applications. So yeah, and then, you know, so for our structure is that we have a uh, vetting committee. So the vetting committee will be responsible in vetting and also choosing uh, the, you know, kind of like uh, uh, our grantees. So, and then for the vetting committee, we have a very experienced of like charity people uh, and also combined with a very experienced uh, blockchain expert. So um, we, we hope that this kind of combination can help them, you know, can help them to really vet uh, the incoming applications on a very un- a comprehensive way, which means that blockchain people make sure that current technology can support and also charity people can really make sure that the, what the project is trying to solve is actually the pain spot uh, in a lot of like, you know, uh, areas. So if, if if they have to be non-profit, um, mm-hmm. aren't you cutting, non-commercial. non-commercial, aren't you cutting out a large percentage of people who um, are really going to develop things that solve the problems? I mean, the, the best people, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but the best people are out there saying, okay, I want to work with the social security department and I want to make sure that um, – the the VA the health um, soldiers health program mm-hmm. I want to make sure that's on the blockchain and that everybody gets great treatment we want to be able to track that treatment we want to be able to track their medications we want to we want all that to be on the blockchain aren't most of the people that go into those things going to be for profit. Oh, uh, that's actually a really good question. Uh, so from uh, the way we approach it is actually that if you are, I'm not saying that, you know, there is anything wrong with commercial entities. Of course not, you know, uh, sure. but our our point is actually that uh, as a commercial entity, you actually have uh, relatively a little bit more ways uh, when it comes to fundraising. So you can, you know, you can have equity uh, fundraising, you can sure. have, you can do ICO, you know, it's, the, it, sure. it, it's just like simply the channel are more. But for non-commercial applications, uh, th- for that, I'm actually talking about, uh, let's say, a university professor that's right. leading a group of, you know, PhDs. 
yes. that want to start a smart city design. Uh, so that uh, so for that type of project, they are really kind of in need of funding, and that will be this kind of like a demographic that we want to kind of like a focus on. Sure. So again, like you know, you can you can only do so much, uh, and then at this stage, we chose this kind of like aspect and direction that we want to focus on. Yeah, but again, like a lot of like great commercial projects out there. <laughs> okay, so at the last crypto summit um, that was in Los Angeles, they. They had about four and a half thousand attendees, and oh, wow. a majority of them were mm-hmm. men. There wasn't, mm. there were women there, but there certainly wasn't a great representation of women. Do yes. you do? Do you do anything to encourage more women to get involved in blockchain and, and the crypto area? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, for, you know, women watching this uh, question, actually, you know, it's, uh, I, uh, in my opinion, I think uh, lacking women in a workforce is actually uh, can apply to many different industries. Sure. But for blockchain and then my advice, you know, for, you know, uh, women that wants to get into the blockchain field is that uh, my theory is that uh, stop looking uh, for your role model, uh, be your role model. Uh, for as the women in the industry, I think because, you know, the lack of women uh, force, you know, for the past, you know, couple of years actually lead to a lack of female leadership. Yeah. For that thing is that we, we don't, we, we have a lot of female workers, but the problem is that we don't have enough female leaders. So right. what we want to, do, what women should, should be thinking and should be doing is actually don't look for anybody that, oh, I want to become in the future. Just set a goal and start to really kind of like measure yourself as a female leader because I think that's a definitely more progressive and then kind of like a more uh, positive angle to think about these kind of questions because you cannot undo what's being done but you are actually but think about actually you have the power as a woman in any kind of workforce the power is actually in your hand that they can potentially define what what is the next generation of female leadership look like so that will be my advice and my opinion on female on blockchain. I think another problem is that um, there are very few that I've seen anyway, really good speakers on blockchain and crypto. Um, one that comes to mind is um, Brock Pierce's wife. Um, mm-hmm. And she, she is a fantastic um, speaker. Uh, Crystal Rose, I think her name is, and she is a phenomenal speaker, one of the best speakers I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. be, I think because she's young, you know, she's like mm-hmm. 30-ish or something, um, and she's a great speaker, she gets women involved. Women women really relate to her, but there's very Absolutely. few of those, very few yes. that I've seen anyway. So. Yes. That is that is correct. Uh, I still remember uh, there was a conference uh, and then earlier this year. So I was uh, one of the three female speakers uh, among, I think, 50 speakers. Yeah. And uh, out of these three female speakers, one is uh, Sophie the Robot. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do against Sophie the Robot? <laughs> oh, the robot presents really well, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a- how can you encourage more crystal roses and, and more people like yourself to get out there and and speak to women and get them involved? Um, 
I think first, uh, you first, I think, you know, for actually, you know, that applies to any gender. First, you need to do what you love. Uh, you know, for women, you know, that want to get into blockchain, first, make sure that, you know, you really, uh, you really have a passion for this industry. Because I still think, you know, that's actually the core and the foundation of, you know, any kind of profession. And the other part is that I think when it comes to gender inequality, it shouldn't be gender segregation, which means that right now, oh, the boys have boys club, you know, our girls should have our girls club, then, you know, it's basically like a Berlin wall that we just don't cross each other. I don't think that should be the case. I think everybody, you know, should... I think everybody shouldn't have a kind of like a pre-decided kind of like an attitude when it comes to like, let's say there is a female worker in your team or there is like a male worker in your team. Sure. I think at start, people should understand and try to appreciate people's on the ability, but not on their gender. And the other, and the other part is that uh, women should, of course, women should be more encouraged and then also should be kind of like a briefer to actually speak on their own mind. Because, you know, uh, because a lot of the time it's not because, you know, let's say women's idea is not good. It's just because maybe sometimes uh, males are kind of like a more expressive. Yeah. And then they, can, they are the one that, you know, probably speak the first sentence. And then as female people, um, you know, we tend to think about, oh, maybe we should cultivate uh, this idea a little bit more. Otherwise, I'm probably going to not sound as smart. <laughs> but don't be afraid, you know, to, you know, yeah. like don't be afraid to express your uh, not premature, but not so completed ideas. Yep. Because idea is idea. And yep. then people work on ideas and people polish ideas. But you should always, you know, be, you know, you should always be able to just kind of initiate a conversation or initiate an idea. So the self, uh, Social Alpha Foundation is really a philanthropic organization, isn't it? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's simply giving giving money to people who are not for profit who are um, helping to spread the applications of blockchain across the community mm-hmm. um, we are getting a few blockchain courses pop up in colleges and and um, other educational areas but there's there's not a lot of it well there doesn't seem to be mm-hmm. a lot of it how important is it to foster that education? One would think that it was critical to get more and more colleges teaching blockchain technology. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I think it's really, really important. Um, so, uh, I mean, one of our uh, education grantee, uh, she's actually a, a student at blockchain uh, at uh, UC Berkeley. Right. So she's also the co-founder of Blockchain at Berkeley, which is, I think, one of the most well-known yep. uh, blockchain student-run blockchain club, you know, in, in America. Yeah, we did a program. So, uh, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. So what we so what we found uh, is actually that if you are, uh, we and we are all about, uh, you know, kind of like um, encouragement when it comes to a younger generation of students. Uh, what we what we do uh, what we do with our partner is actually we invited her uh, to come to Hong Kong, and then we host a series of workshops, uh, meetups, and also university visits uh, during her stay. So uh, two parts. So one part is that you know we think Hong Kong is kind of like a lacking fundamental blockchain knowledge, yeah. uh, which well we, therefore that we hosted classes on crypto economic design, 
uh, how to start your blockchain research, and also something more uh, int- uh, introductory uh, classes like introduction to blockchain. But on other parties that we actually organize university basis, that is for a partner who is a experienced, uh, kind of like a co-founder of a great organization that really get in touch uh, with local Hong Kong university students. Right. Uh, to talk about how exactly to start, you know, what is her journey as a co-founder of a kind of like a very successful organization and how important actually how easy for you to start your own kind of like a blockchain club. And then so we think, you know, that kind of like, a, you know, in, enrollment is actually important because, you know, it's one part to think about, oh, maybe someone should start it and I should just follow. But it's very different for, for students to think about I should be the one, I should be the founder. So I think, you know, that, I think, I think that program, you know, we how was kind of like very kind of like educational and also uh, impactful. And, you know, uh, in the, in America, we actually know uh, that there is, uh, there actually is a blockchain at uni- universities a lot. You know, there's like a blockchain at uh, Berkeley Club, of course, a blockchain at Columbia, blockchain at USC, blockchain at UCI. So and then we can see that you know with you know the growth of these kind of like a student club coming up, we're actually looking at the very kind of like a diversity of maybe potential blockchain applications, not just on you know kind of like a commercial focus, but you can also you know expand into many many different spectrums, because the more the larger the population of you know people thinking about blockchain, actually, the higher opportunities for blockchain to succeed. Uh, is, is there. So, and then we think, uh, and then we also know that in UC Berkeley, there is a professor that's actually going to teach a blockchain for social impact uh, entrepreneurship classes uh, for the very right. first time. So we think that will also be interesting because that for that, we can actually have a communication, also information sharing, not just on the student level, but also on the faculty level. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's extremely important and uh, I'm I'm just really I'm actually very glad to see that there actually just right now more and more student involvement and also faculty involvement are happening. Nadia Zhang, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Just on that last thought for a second, um, there are companies right across the country from banks to all sorts of fintech companies all looking for good blockchain people and unable to find them. Um, so that in the next 10 years, there's going to be a massive um, demand for blockchain experts. And at the moment, there are, they're few and far between. So if you'd like to know more about Nidia and Social Alpha Foundation, go to Social, S-O-C-I-A-L, Alpha, A-L-P-H-A, Foundation, F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N, dot org. So that's socialalphafoundation.org. All the details are on that website. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on the Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from Hollywood Boulevard in the technology and entertainment capital of the world, Hollywood, California. I'm always getting questions from millennials about what to look for between jo- before joining a startup. Firstly, figure out your top priority. Is it compensation? Is it career? Is it culture? Or is it something else? The basic starting point, I guess, is, is this startup in the field you ultimately want to work in? Will it expose you to technology and problems that excite you? Does it offer you the sort of role that you ultimately want to be in? And if you want to work in tech and make the most money possible, you should be applying to the tech giants like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, etc. They offer the highest compensation in the industry. But for many working at a startup with high risk, high reward, owning equity is preferable to working for a giant corporation. You can be an early tech employee at the next Google or employee number 85,001 at a tech giant. So you need to establish that you'll be making the most cash possible via salary and bonuses. You've got to remember that 98% of all these startups go broke. So you want to get whatever money you can out. So make sure that there's cash involved. Additionally, ensure there's a clear path for salary increases as you progress and determine how the raises and bonuses are calculated because a lot of people are promised them and don't make them. You also need to make sure that the startup's going to last. Look at the long-term viability of the company. You know, do they have a good product market fit? What is their current growth rate? If it's slow, that means slow income growth. That means you're likely not to get paid your money. What's the real worth of your equity? You really know that equity in this startup actually has some chance of producing revenue for you. Your percentage of ownership is much more important than your number of shares. So remember, the more owed in liquidation preference, the less your equity is worth. So if they're going to exit at a realistic high price or IPO, your equity is in good shape. Now, if you're looking to step into more senior positions or switching roles, you need to have a different framework for evaluating the startup. Consider how the startup will affect your career in the future. And if it has a flat structure, it can be next to impossible to take on a more senior position. So ask what progression they envision for someone in your role. How much responsibility will you have? And finally, will you be able to learn new skills and technologies in your role? So there's some of the things that you should think about. A company in great financial shape is still likely to fail if they have a toxic culture. So a company with an amazing culture will fail if they can't make money. But of course, no career move comes without risk. But by, being, by carefully evaluating a potential new startup, you'll have the best chance of selecting the right role for you. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible rather than do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, 
you'll always be really bloody boring. Nobody wants to be boring. So unless you're prepared to push the envelope, you'll never know how amazing you can be. Now, I hope you're going to join me again next Tuesday when I'll be broadcasting from our studios overlooking Sydney Harbour in Sydney, Australia. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.